It's time for a Your Gal Friday flashback episode. We're re-airing an episode of our sister show that ties into a gal pal's one cool thing. On Monday, you heard about 16-year-old climate change activist Greta Thunberg. Well, today we have another child prodigy whose math calculations were pivotal to the space race. We're talking about hidden figure Katherine Johnson. Catherine's work at NASA was so flawless that when the new IBM computers had a hiccup before John Glenn's first orbital mission, John said, get the girl. If she says they're good, then I'm good to go. Learn more stories like this on the life and legacy of Catherine Johnson on our student-friendly show, Your Gal Friday. Welcome to Your Gal Friday, a podcast about female leaders, innovators, and rule breakers. Each week, your hosts, Leah and Phoebe, will shine a spotlight on an amazing gal and talk about what we can all learn from her. Brought to you by Gal's Guide to the Galaxy. Welcome to Your Gal Friday. I'm Dr. Leah Leach. And I'm Phoebe Freer. Today, we're talking about a gal who is a math genius. Her calculations were pivotal in getting the first American in space and back home safely. But it didn't stop there. From the early days of the NACA testing airplanes and rockets to all the way to the space shuttle program, she was crunching numbers with pinpoint accuracy. Today, we're making math a ton of fun and talking about the life and legacy of your gal, Katherine Johnson. Yay! So similarly to Dorothy Vaughn, I knew of Katherine Johnson because of the movie Hidden Figures. If it weren't for the movie or for the fact that I know Leah, I probably would never have known about Katherine Johnson. So when I watched the movie, Katherine is, of course, who I felt the closest to other than the other three. But that's simply because that's how the movie's constructed. And she like movies typically she's have, the hero. Yeah, she's the hero. Typically movies have one main character when it comes down to it and she was it so of course Mm -hmm. i gravitated to her and she's got that home family life that they touched on and all that stuff and she's incredibly smart so it's like she's just the whole package oh yes you know um leah mentioned that she became um kind of a composite character so meaning that what happened to her in the movie actually happened to other women in real life as as well as herself So this week I was interested to learn what really was about her and what was really her character. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm kind of in the in the same boat where just like how, you know, last week with Dorothy Vaughn, um, I had read the book first and then I saw the movie. Um, And I mean, I knew before going into this research uh, that the Catherine movie version, you know, was a little bit different. Um, And I totally I totally get why they do that. It's totally totally, cool. (laughs) So uh, she kind of showed the overarching journey, you know what I mean? Kind of within the movie as well. Yeah. Um, So, however, we do a show on real life gals. And so separating that fact from fiction is just something I just love to do. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's so much fun. (laughs) I find it so much fun. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yep. So, I mean, I was really looking forward to this episode to to kind of learn more about the real Catherine. Totally. You know what I mean? The full-fledged real gal. Oh, yeah. yeah. Me too. And, like, for me, it's awesome when, like, you if you listen to the show, you probably already know this. But, like, for me, when um, characters are portrayed in movies or TV shows or something visual mm-hmm. and audible that you can 
like drink in, it's easier for me to remember it and understand right. it. So um, it's really cool to to see a movie about it and then go research for yourself what really happened because then you actually have faces right. to put with it and you can be like oh they should have done this in the movie like not in a critiquing way but more in a like you create the movie right, in right, your right. head so it's a really cool part like, of it this is a fascinating story as well right yeah. and you actually have faces and ideas and like fun Mm -hmm. um visuals to go with it now and you can just keep the movie continuing in your head at least for me so that's pretty cool oh yeah no absolutely they say that a visual image gets to the brain's long-term memory faster than reading words on a page definitely so it sticks with you longer and you can build upon it absolutely so yeah that's why that's why it's extremely important also to still have visual history as well absolutely yeah (laughs) Yes. Well, should we get into it? Yes. Do you want to tell us where was the real Catherine born? Well, Catherine was born in White Sulphur Springs, West Virginia, as Catherine Coleman. She was born on August 26, 1918, and her parents were Joshua Coleman and Joylette Coleman. Catherine was the youngest of four children. Catherine's intelligence and gifting was apparent, even at a young age. In her area, there was limited education for African Americans. Her school only went up to 8th grade, which she completed by the age of 10. Um, But there was a school about 120 miles away called the Institute of West Virginia, which was on the campus of West Virginia State College. So... Catherine's parents, who were very supportive of education, sent all of their children to finish high school 120 miles away. Their family split their time between the college and White Sulphur Springs over the summer. The reason their family was so um, supportive of this is because Catherine's father was actually also really good with math, and he was very smart, and he used it to his advantage in his career, even though a lot of his career choices were very hands-on and very, um, like, Mm hands-on type careers. Catherine's career was very mathematical and did the numbers, but she got that from her father Mm -hmm. and her parents absolutely understood the importance of growing her education yeah oh thank goodness they did i know right like geez she she did so many things because (laughs) of that um catherine continued to excel in school and she graduated high school at the young age of 14 after that she attended not surprisingly west virginia state college which is now known as west virginia state university she took Every single math course she could. She found every way she could expand her knowledge and her resources. So she had multiple professors mentor her and even had Angie Turner King as her mentor. At one point, Angie was one of the first African-American women to gain a degree in chemistry and mathematics. Catherine also had teachers add new math courses just for her. So another mentor was Dr. Claytor, who taught her as much as he could, according to the book Hidden Figures by Margot Lee Shutterly. Um, He taught her everything he could think of to prepare her for her career in mathematics. Everything from teaching to creating more courses to just tutoring her and pushing her and he did everything he could. Yeah, giving her advice all along the way. Exactly. And even at one point, She was like, where am I going to find a career in this? 
And he said, well, that's your problem. Mm-hmm. I, I'm just here to, t- to teach you. That's your problem to find a career in it. Like, <laughs> it's a, that's a good mentor, actually. It is. That's it's really very good. good. Like, if I had a mentor searching. in film like that, they're like, okay, here's all the stuff you need. Now go find out where you're supposed to go. It's like, whoa, okay then. Right. <laughs> Man, that's incredible. So she graduated college with, with degrees in French and math at the young age of 18. As soon as she was able, she took a teaching job at a black public school in Marion, Virginia. The next year, Catherine secretly, secretly married her first husband, James Goebel, in 1939. Now, she did it secretly because um, schools did not allow married women in to teach. I think, Leah, correct me if I'm wrong, but was it just to teach or was it to teach and to go attend school? It it was a little bit of both. It was a frowned upon sort of thing because okay. a married woman at any point would leave either a teaching job or college because of children. Right. So okay. it doesn't mean necessarily that they were planning to have children, but they would see married woman and think they're not going to stay here that long. Gotcha. So that's why so that's keeping why it, a she keep it a secret. Yeah. <laughs> she kept it so much on the down low that she didn't even tell her parents she was married. It's amazing. Yeah, she was committed. <laughs> um, so around this time, uh, schools were slowly desegregating, if that's a word. So Dr. Davis, the president of Catherine's Alma Mater, turned down $4 million from West Virginia's legislator to fund a graduate program for their all-black segregated school. He turned this down because he was hoping that by not creating a segregated all-black university that West Virginia University all-white school would be compelled to accept black students and therefore end segregation, or at least slowly start. That's very cool. It's very cool. It's very wise. I I, I don't know if I would have thought And brave. That. Yeah, very brave. brave. Yeah. <laughs> very brave and wise. It's mm-hmm. just, wow. Who would have thought... To, Good on him. I mean, yeah. It's a great idea. And it actually worked. Um... West Virginia's Governor Holt decided not to fight the desegregation, but he decided to let the integration process move forward. Governor Holt asked Dr. Davis to handpick three African-American students to integrate. Dr. Davis explained this all to Catherine, and he sat her down and he said, I pick you. And he also included two other black men. So since Catherine was chosen into the program, she quit her job and enrolled into the university. She rarely saw the other two black men, if at all, so she was all on her own. But she excelled in her studies once again. The teachers treated her fairly. She was she was doing well. After only a year of attending graduate school, she became pregnant. And it became apparent that they now needed to tell the world about her marriage because, you know, it's about to show soon. Mm-hmm. Some sources online say that Catherine quit school because maybe she didn't like it. She didn't like the segregation happening or being around so many white people. Um, some sources say that she just wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. But according to the book by Margolise Shutterly, it was because she kept it a secret and because um, they wouldn't, they would frown upon her being married and being pregnant. So because it was a secret and because it was going to be revealed and they probably would frown upon it anyway, 
she decided to stay home and quit school and um, not deal with the hassle and just take care of her family, which she later said she did not regret this decision at all, which is fantastic because that's a really big and hard decision to make. Yeah, absolutely. So Catherine had three daughters and once they became older, Catherine went back to teaching math and French. So, Leah, how did Catherine go from teaching to working at what would become NASA? So, Catherine heard about the NACA hiring black mathematicians from her brother-in-law at a wedding in Virginia. Hmm. It was a math job that she had been waiting for. It was like the math job that her mentor told her to go look for. (laughs) So, she applied for it. She started in 1953, and she reported to Dorothy Vaughn in the West Area Computers, But she really didn't stay there for long. (laughs) So yay for Dot. Yes. Right. But another difference from the movie slightly, right? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because really she was only there for about two weeks. Oh, wow. And the movie made it seem much longer. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Yes. So it was two weeks into her start. And a request came in from the Flight and Research Division looking for two new computers. So Dorothy sent Irma Tynes and Catherine. So in Margot's book, Hidden Figures, she talks about Catherine's first encounter with the engineers and how it didn't really go the best. She kind of took stock of the busy room. It was mostly male, but not all male. Uh, And she headed for an empty cube of tables by the engineers. She put her stuff down and she smiled. And then the engineer got up and walked away. Oh, geez. I know, right? Margot writes this very beautifully. She says, Bemused, Catherine considers the engineer's sudden departure. The moment that passed between them could have been because she was black and he was white. But then again, it could have been because she was a woman and he was a man. Or maybe the moment was an interaction between a professional and a subprofessional, an engineer and a girl. So it kind of shows, you know... In, you know, by reading the book and, and even with watching interviews of Catherine, um, I kind of read between the lines there because really, um, Marco sums it up very well. It's a lot going in, you know, to an environment. It could have been much of anything. Um, right. So you didn't know when and if discrimination was going to come at you, but more than likely it would from one way or another. Right. Because there's so <laughs> right? many different things people frown on. Right, exactly. And Catherine could not change the fact that she was black. She could not change the fact that she was a woman. All she could do was do the work and prove herself to be the most skilled mathematician. And I think that's what she focused on. And that's why she thrived. Definitely. (laughs) Definitely. Um, I can also say that that engineer who uh, who stood up and disappeared for a bit, once he found out that Catherine was also from West Virginia, those two became very fast friends. Aww, so, that's so empathy. Great. Once you get to have something in common. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> so Catherine stayed in flight and research for a while. Actually, so much so that Dorothy noticed that Catherine should be getting her six-month promotion, but she might not get it because she was not returned to the computer pool. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So Dorothy had a meeting with Henry Pearson, who is the branch chief of flight and research. And she said, either give her a raise or send her back to me. <laughs> nice. 
So I love that Dorothy was sticking up for her gals, right? Sticking up for you. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yes. So Pearson, of course, offered Catherine a permanent position uh, and a race within flight and research because there was no way they were going to send Catherine back to the computer pool at all. She asked all the right questions and her work was completely flawless. That's awesome. Uh, Catherine also simply loved what she was doing. One of her first assignments involved the crashing of a propeller plane and the work needed to be done to figure out why it just fell out of the sky. Now, her calculations involved analytic geometry with lots of variables. So the engineers were able to take her data and test it and find out where the problem happened and why, and also how to solve it for moving forward. She loved that what she was able to do had such a positive impact in the world. It was quite amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> so so those were the very first few months that she was within uh, NACA. I'm going to jump a little bit ahead and go into when it's now NASA and the Mercury program. So the Mercury program is one of the things she's most famous for. Uh, Now, the Mercury program was a mission to put Americans into space. The real goal was to have a man in Earth orbit and return safely before the Russians did it. (laughs) That was the real goal. Uh, The truth was, though, the Russians were way ahead of the United States. So we started calling it the space race. It was really between the United States and Russia. (laughs) Makes sense. So there was many test flights. And there was about 20 unmanned flights, and there were six manned flights in the Mercury program. The Mercury program, according to Spacecraft Encyclopedia, its completion cost $277 million and employed 2 million people. It's a lot of people and a lot of money. (laughs) Wow. Right? Um, Now, I bring this up because sometimes when we think of the Mercury project, we think of the Mercury 7, if we think of it at all. Uh, But the Mercury 7 is the seven astronauts chosen and trained to be the first ones in space. But there are 2 million people that worked on this program. So not just the seven. You know what I mean? So it's one of those things where of the people who worked hard to get them to space and back, one of them was Katherine Johnson. Absolutely. So, yes. (laughs) Yep. So at this time during the Mercury program, uh, Catherine was at the Space Task Group, and it was comprised of many of the engineers from her previous group from Flight and Research. So Catherine did the trajectory analysis for Alan Shepard's May 1961 Freedom 7 mission, uh, which was the first American space flight. A year later, when John Glenn was about to embark on his first orbital mission, the IBM computers were being utilized a lot more than the human computers were. Right. Uh, but there was also more working parts, basically. Um, the IBMs, there was many of them. There was three of, or four of them, actually. They needed to all be synced. So the computers in IBMs that were in Washington, D.C., Cape Canaveral, and Bermuda all needed to be on the exact same page. None of Literally. them could be wrong. Well, during a pre-flight checkup, uh, NASA said that there was a hiccup. That was the technical term. <laughs> yeah. Basically, that's code for one of the computers wasn't given the same information as the other computers. <laughs> Makes sense. So when John Glenn was told that, he asked the engineers to get the girl. And that meant Catherine. 
quote, if she says they're good, then I'm ready to go, is what John Glenn said. So Catherine checked the numbers. They were the same as the IBM. And she checked them by hand, and John Glenn's flight was a success. That's so awesome. <laughs> and that's like another thing yes. that's correct in the movie. But um like we were talking right. about yeah. we were talking about this earlier. Um in the movie they like implied that it was very last minute, but like it, this still happened, but it wasn't quite right. as last minute. But that's definitely a movie thing. They had enough time. <laughs> they had time. Exactly. But, but always with a movie, you got to have that conflict and that, it you know. Oh, it's like, it's know, the, the Alfred, the it's the Alfred sort of Hitchcock thing. thing. It's the bomb in the room, you know? <laughs> it's like, you know yep. there's a bomb Absolutely. in the room. Absolutely. You know? Yes, that a, ticking sorry, clock. Tick, t- tick, tick. Yeah. Movie. Yes. Speaking, oh, yeah. no, totally. Yeah. If you know there's going to be a bomb that's going to explode, then you're more heightened sense of awareness. Right. So yeah. if you know that John Glenn needs these numbers for a safe flight, yeah. then you make that a heightened state of awareness. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> and she did it. And it's so cool. I was like so happy to discover that was cr- that was true because that's really cool. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I love it. Well, you digged into her work in the Apollo missions. Yeah, and it's kind of cool. I, once I discovered some things, I got really excited. Okay. <laughs> so Catherine helped calculate the trajectory for the 1969 Apollo 11 flight to the moon during the moon landing. So um, during the landing, she was at a meeting in the Pocono Mountains, and she and a few others crowded around the television screen and watched the first steps on the moon that she helped happen, which is astounding. Amazing. Yeah. So this next one, although landing on the moon is a huge deal, this isn't the next one is a huge deal to me personally, because I like movies. Um. (laughs) <laughs> I learned that Katherine Johnson could have and all maybe should have been a character in the movie Apollo 13. So she also worked on Apollo 13 moon mission, which was in 1970. So when the spacecraft began to fail, the mission was aborted and her and Catherine was working on backup procedures. In a 2010 interview, Catherine recalled, quote, everybody was concerned about them getting to the moon. We were concerned about getting them back. What Catherine Johnson helped do was her and her partner cal- made calculations before all, before the takeoff, before everything happened. They did test flights. They did test calculations and simulations. They asked the question, okay, what happens when the computers stop working? How do we get them back when the computers shut down? And she asked this question. Well, because she asked this question, they created this um, procedure that was based on the stars in the sky. Like you counted the stars and you did these calculations based on the stars and all of this. But because in Apollo 13, there was so much debris that they couldn't tell what was debris and what was the stars. Because of that, Catherine's exact calculations could not be used. Because of those calculations Mm -hmm. and because of that procedure, Jim Lovell actually came up with a different idea based on Catherine's. So that's when they decided yep. to line up the window with Earth and base it on the line of 
um, the hemisphere line where, where it was like the darkness to lightness. And even Catherine was like, they mm-hmm. were really lucky. Like they were really lucky because that, that yeah. had to go just right for that to work. And it was based on an astronaut and a mathematician and everything just had to be exactly right. But it's really cool that it worked out. Like Catherine literally saved lives and that's so cool. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Yeah. If she hadn't thought of that question earlier, where they could work out, here's some options. Right. And then to have the astronauts like Jim Lovell be aware of those options. Exactly. I mean, that's that's planning for the worst scenario. Exactly. And it worked. And it worked. Like if she hadn't thought about that, they wouldn't have thought about the actual solution. So it's like because you oh don't have gosh. a lot of time, you gotta no, figure you this don't. stuff out. You have to like yesterday, it out. yeah, exactly. <laughs> and she did figure it out yesterday. I was like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, I was so excited because exactly, I'm yeah. like, all right, now I'm like rewriting the movie a little bit and adding Catherine into it. And it was like, okay, we could have had her here, right. we could add her there, like. <laughs> <laughs> It's just so I know. Fun. Isn't you it could, wonderful? You could combine those two movies. You could combine Hidden Figures and Apollo yes. 13. Like, that's just so cool. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it's fantastic. It is. I love so her Apollo she... stories. I really, yeah. really do. Oh, it's so exciting. So what did she do on this space shuttle program? One thing that I kept finding, which is, and I will try not to go on a rant about it, um, but every biography that you look at, it'll say that Catherine also worked on the space shuttle program and the Earth resources satellites. But finding information about what she did on those, (laughs) yeah, like we've had difficult. Yeah, we found a lot of like one sentence, like "Oh, she did this," and then she did this, and it's like, "Well, can you tell us a little bit about that, maybe?" But but what did she do (laughs) on that? Right, and it's one of those things because I mean, the space shuttle stuff and 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 the satellite; those were in my lifetime. So why is there less information? You would think there would be more right Right. (laughs) this is kind of what i have pieced together um i've pieced together by looking at the space shuttle program uh, because the space shuttle program actually started in its early days in 1977 the idea was to have a reusable spacecraft that is basically what it is when we're talking about the space shuttle program Um, the idea was is this reusable spacecraft could bring crew and cargo from orbit to back to Earth. So because this spacecraft was actually kind of more of a glider, the way that it came back to Earth, it would need to land not in the ocean, but on a specific runway, either at the Kennedy Center or at Edwards Air Force Base. Now, what we know of Catherine's trajectories is that they were pinpoint accurate. She knew what spot of ocean (laughs) every capsule was going to land on. So I can only assume her talents were perfect to make sure that they create a shuttle that was a glider that could correct its orbit and return to the exact spot of a runway. <laughs> wow. I assume that is where she worked on in the space shuttle program. So, um, because honestly, as a kid, I always found it fascinating. How in the world did they know the exact window when they were in outer space 
to return to Florida when everything is currently in motion and constantly in motion, totally, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I didn't realize that it was math. I, I didn't know it was math. <laughs> yeah, no. I was too busy getting a D in geometry at this point. So, yeah, no, I'm, I, I, I'm I didn't same. know. <laughs> same, same. Yes, definitely. Exactly. So, from 1981 to 2011, we honestly had one of the coolest things ever. We had a space shuttle. Um, it actually kind of makes me quite sad that it was retired because the space shuttle for me, it was our Enterprise. It was our Millennium Falcon. Um, but actually, in reality, it was quite a bit more. The shuttle missions explored Earth's climate. It measured asteroids in the atmosphere. It sent out the Hubble Bubble Space Telescope. And I know it's not the Hubble Bubble, but that's just always what I've called it from my childhood. Mm. Um, and it took pictures of our universe and it sent them back. And so it also set up a space station where people can actually live in outer space. So the space shuttle missions, as well as the Earth resource satellites, both of them Catherine worked on they looked at the earth temperatures they looked at the ice caps and the oceans they looked at the ozone and they looked at the stratosphere which is the air we breathe that's the complicated word for it but it looked at like far far more now I know Phoebe is a fan of the movie Twister oh my gosh uh they in fact because of the space shuttle missions, uh, the F factors for tornadoes were developed because Langley and the work of the space missions and the Earth rescues. What? So we got an F5, we got an F1. What? Mind blown. Three right? movies. Exactly. <laughs> so many movies combined into one in Phoebe's head right yeah, now. <laughs> so many. So Oh, it's so beautiful. It's a beautiful place right now. <laughs> right? <laughs> see, this is why I'm obsessed with NASA and the space program. Oh, yeah. I see it now. <laughs> yeah. It ties into so many things that I love randomly. Yeah. So Just, random. You know, you wouldn't think they were connected. No. You wouldn't. Yep. But they are. <laughs> It's all connected. So we have learned about her NASA life. Yes. But what about her life outside of NASA? What about her personal life? So there's a few tidbits about her personal life. Um, well, Catherine at this point is, of course, Catherine Goble. She's not Catherine Johnson yet. Well, that's because um, Catherine Goble, Goble is, of course, the last name of her first husband, Jimmy Goble. Well, Jimmy actually died mm -hmm. in 1956 from a tumor and head trauma he was just he died tragically and it was very sad and yeah. um Catherine was so happy with her life at this point that i can't imagine how tragic this was to lose him but in yeah. in 1959 um Catherine actually remarried to james a johnson he was a second lieutenant in the army and he was a veteran of the korean war now, again, there isn't much online about her second marriage, but in the movie Hidden Figures, it does do a pretty good job of filling in the blanks and kind of putting more meat behind the information than the internet provides. Right, exactly. And they kind of, like, show how they met and all this stuff because it was during her NASA times and her space mm -hmm. times and such. Um, right. Yeah, absolutely. So there are some interesting stories about Catherine at Langley, and I just wanted to share them with you. I'm actually going to read right from the book by Margot Lee Shutterly, The Hidden Figures, of course. Um, I'm just reading straight from the book because it sounds so good already. I didn't want to mess it up and reword it for no reason. 
<laughs> she writes so well. It's, she does it's hard write to so not well. do. Yes. It, it's, I get sucked in. Just a random shout out. Thank you, Margot Lee Shutterly, because your book has been a godsend. <laughs> yes. You really three-dimensionalized all of these characters absolutely. for us. Yeah. Absolutely. So the book says she took a genuine liking to her new colleagues as well. The West Virginia engineer she had met on day one played ABO and local symphony. Members of the Brian Busters Club convened after work and on weekends to build elaborate model airplanes by hand. Many of the men and women at Langley joined softball or basketball teams and played in local amateur leagues. Langley's, quote, Sky Chicks competed against a team fielded by the power company, the Kilowatt the kilowatt cu- <laughs> the kilowatt cuties <laughs> that was hard to say but it was which so is fun. such a great name <gasps> it's, it's really it's cute it's so cute <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> <laughs> over time the black employees joined teams as well and then there was the lunchtime bridge game the game's requirement of both analytical and people reading skills made it a favorite game of the engineers and they spent many a lunch hour in fierce competition They were an opinionated, high-energy bunch. And best of all, as far as Catherine was concerned, they were all smart as whips. There was nothing Catherine Goble loved more than brains. Oh, yeah. I can see that in interviews when she talks about anybody that she thought was really smart, that she's just, she's smitten by intelligence. She just, she really appreciates it. That's so cool. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You had another one, too, didn't you? I do. So in the movie Hidden Figures, they go on and on about this um, thing with the bathroom that Catherine had to run across the way and like run a mile just to go to the bathroom. Now, they kind of twisted Mm -hmm. it a little bit in the movie, but essentially it was true. Um, I'm also going to read a paragraph from the book about that because they explain it very concisely and very eloquently. So from the beginning, Catherine felt completely at home at Langley. Nothing about the culture of the laboratory or her new colleagues rattled her, not even the persistent racial segregation. At the beginning, in fact, she didn't even realize the bathrooms were segregated. Not every building had a colored bathroom, a fact that Mary Jackson had discovered so painfully during her rotation on the east side. Though bathrooms for black employees were clearly marked, most of the bathrooms, the ones implicitly designed for white employees, were unmarked. As far as Catherine was concerned, there was no reason why she shouldn't use those as well. It would be a couple of years before she was confronted on the whole rigmarole of separate bathrooms. By then, she simply refused to change her habits, refused to so much so as enter the colored bathrooms. And that was that. No one ever said anything. I know. I love it. (laughs) I love it too. She was going to do what she needed to do. I love how the movie, like really touched on um important topics like and they only skewed it just enough to like be in a movie format basically right exactly they still hit the bathroom thing uh but just for the movie they had an experience to the the hero Catherine, um instead of who it really happened to which is mary who we're gonna talk about next episode yeah so addition to having a family working for langley and essentially saving lives Catherine sang in the choir of carver presbyterian church for 50 years she's been a member of the alpha kappa alpha since college which was the first sorority established by and for african-american women Catherine and her husband have six grandchildren and 11 great-grandchildren. Oh, 
Oh, very awesome. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> so tell me about her papers. Because there is also a scene um, or series of scenes, I should say, um, in Hidden Figures, the movie, where Catherine is trying to get her name on reports as an author. Now, getting your name on a research report really was a big deal. Uh, it was also accountability for the accuracy of your work. So if you stood behind your numbers and your research, you certainly wanted your name on that front page. Absolutely. Uh, however... It was prestigious. <laughs> so, according to Margot's book, it said, quote, getting one's name on a research report was a necessary first step in the career of an engineer. For a woman, it was significant and an unusual achievement. So, yeah, so many people wanted their name on a paper. <laughs> that makes sense. So according to NASA, Catherine co-authored 26 different research reports. Her first would not only be the first for her, but the first time that a woman in the flight and research division received credit as an author. And it was a 1960s report called, and you know I can't not share the title of her report because I love these. It was called mm -hmm. Determination of the Asmus Angle in the Burnout for Placing a Satellite Over a Selected Earth Position. Oh, Doesn't that gosh. sound fascinating? It totally does. And I don't understand any of those words, but it sounds great. I know. But there's lots of words all strung together. Uh, but it was Catherine and engineer Ted Skopotsky whose names were on the paper. So... Now, women, regardless of color, they really did struggle to get their name on reports in the early days. Uh, Doris Cohen would actually be the first in 1941. She would go on to author nine more reports. Five of them, she was actually the sole author. And that was very, very rare. So Catherine getting her name on a report 20 years later in 1960, it was still not normal to get her wow. name on reports. So good on you. <laughs> Now, Catherine went on to win a lot of awards lot, and some yeah. really cool things happened to her. Oh, my god! Please gosh, tell yes. me all these awesome things about Catherine. Um, <laughs> I think I should start with the best because I'm pretty excited about this. I thought this one was really cool. So. Do it. Catherine received the Presidential Medal of Freedom Award, which is an award given by the President of the United States, who at the time was President Obama. It is the highest civilian award that is given from the United States. It's people like Mother Teresa and the United Kingdom Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher who received this award. And Catherine got it. Like, this is a big deal. Like, mm -hmm. a big deal. Oh, yeah. Um, she was one of 17 Americans that was honored on November 24th, 2015 by President Barack Obama. She was cited as a pioneering example of African-American women in STEM. So that's insanely cool. And I love it. <laughs> and the president like gave her a kiss and she was surprised and all blushing and it's very cute and like, oh my gosh. It was so adorable. She yeah. did not expect him to lean down and give her a kiss and she's like, uh-huh. Uh -huh, so Lovely. Oh she loved it. <laughs> That's just so cool that it came from Barack Obama too. It's just like, oh, just all of that is just so right. cool. It's like, oh. 
Exactly. Oh, oh man. it was it's a sweet sweet moment to watch to watch actually the footage of the award yeah. ceremony. Yeah. It's super sweet. So cute. <laughs> oh my gosh. In addition to that, Catherine was named the West Virginia State College Outstanding Alumnus of the Year in 1999. Very cool. On May 5th, 2016, a new very large building was named Catherine G. Johnson computational research facility and formally dedicated to at the agency's langley research center in hampton virginia and facility officially opens its doors september 22nd 2017 Catherine attended this event which marked which marked the 55th anniversary of astronaut alan shepard's historic ron- rocket launch and splashdown a success that Catherine helped achieve so during this event, Catherine also received a Silver Snoopy Award, often called the Astronauts Award. NASA stated it is given to those who have made outstanding contributions to flight safety and mission success. So that's a huge honor. Very cool. She has a huge building named yeah, after her that's at a, Langley. That's a big nice. day. That's a big day. That's so cool. It really is. Yeah. <laughs> In 2016, Catherine was included in a list of 100 women, BBC's list of 100 influential women worldwide. NASA stated her calculations proved as critical to the success of the Apollo moon landing program and the start of the space shuttle program, and they did to those first steps on the country's journey into space. That is, is so, so awesome. That's so awesome yeah, to get it's recognition <laughs> from NASA. Like NASA specifically, it said really that. is. It's that important that NASA had to release and say that. That's oh, that's so great. Um, Catherine is actually also portrayed in a TV series called Timeless. She was portrayed in the episode Space Race, and she was also portrayed, of course, in the movie Hidden Figures. In an interview, Catherine said about the movie that it was well done. The three leading ladies did an excellent job portraying us. So that's really cool to get. Like, Oh, very sweet. Like, I can't imagine being a filmmaker and hearing that from somebody who's still living, watching the movie that you created yeah. about them. Like, that's just a dream. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's amazing. <laughs> Catherine, she retired from NASA in 1986, mm-hmm. um, and she worked at Langley for 33 years, and she said in an interview, I love going to work every single day. Yay, that's so cool. <laughs> Not many people can say that, nope, but I'm happy nope. that Catherine did. Yes. <laughs> Yes. She's also, you know, as you probably our glorious listeners have gleamed, she is the only of the Hidden Figures gals that is actually still alive today. Uh, This August, Catherine will be celebrating, fingers crossed, everywhere, 100 years old. Yay! So, yes. Get to August, girl. And then keep going. Keep going. Just just get to 100. (laughs) Triple digits, man. Triple digits. (laughs) Exactly. Absolutely. The world can use more of Catherine anyway. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Let's appreciate her while she is here. Exactly. uh, Because she is is a national treasure. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. So it it is a little interesting because she is still alive. Right. Uh, So when we have our legacy question, she... She is still here. So, Phoebe, what do you Ooh. think? Uh, what legacy she wants to leave behind? Man, no pressure. She's still here. And there's a once in a blue moon chance right. that she could hear this. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. You never know. <laughs> what legacy do we think she wants to leave behind? Looking back through everything that we just talked about, 
she fought segregation, but she wasn't really, like, fighting, fighting. She just wanted what was best for herself and for her family. Um, I think that the fact that her parents actually helped her through and actually pushed her to do, to pursue mathematics, and also they didn't, Mm -hmm. they didn't, like, condemn her for quitting school or for quitting her job to raise a family either so i kind of right yeah they kept supporting her yeah yeah so like thinking about all of that i'm kind of thinking she wanted her legacy to leave behind like positivity and encouragement to people who wanted to pursue Mm -hmm. a career but also like not judgmental you know i feel like her father's mentality probably grew rubbed off on her a lot where it was like okay this is your passion this is your career this is what you're good at so encouraging her kids to do that and encouraging people to be themselves and yeah absolutely and use their skills and talents for you know the the greater good yeah yeah absolutely so that's kind of what i'm thinking i like it um well she was asked at one point what her what she believed was her greatest contribution so i'm gonna kind of take this as what i'm thinking maybe uh could be her um like the legacy that she would want to leave behind right she said that the space exploration and the calculations that help sync Apollo's lunar lander with the moon orbiting command and service module was her greatest accomplishment. Mm. Um, I love that her legacy answer is specific. It's yeah. one event. It's one calculation. I honestly think it's that precision that I love about Catherine. Yeah. <laughs> she doesn't really think like, nece- she doesn't mm. think anyway, big picture. We do. We always think big picture oh, yeah. when oh, we yeah. think legacy. Um, but she's not thinking of, you know, like a wish or a dream. Her, at least her legacy answer is is concrete. I did this. It helped lots of people. It was a success. It allowed for other successes. So basically like, you know, she did her part and it worked. Like, That's I love that. Beautiful. It's so simple. It's so cool. <laughs> and it's a different kind of uh, different kind of gal, right? <laughs> yeah. That makes a lot of sense why it was hard to figure this out, figure out this answer. Yeah. But they're always hard because we're jumping into the shoes of the gal trying to figure out totally. what legacy they would want. And we are different people. Right. And how many of them actually think about their legacy and actually... Correct. You know, do it on Sometimes purposely. you don't. Yeah. Sometimes you don't mm. think about your legacy and you're not purposeful, but there's still a legacy. Like, you always leave a legacy, so we always try to dissect what Absolutely. that legacy is. But some gals, it's like, yeah. oh, I don't know if they thought about this because it could be this, it could be that, it could be right. pretty much anything. Or some of them died so young that it wasn't even like that wasn't an option. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So then the the other big question we always ask is, so Phoebe, what did you learn from Catherine this week? Just hearing you talk about her legacy answer. Okay. And say she pinpointed one event Mm -hmm. that it helped people and it worked. So I'm learning that first off, you're allowed to congratulate yourself for Doing a good thing. Yes. You're allowed to be like, hey, I did this. It was very good. It helped people. And I'm happy of myself because of this. Like, you're allowed to do that. Yep. Um, Absolutely. Which is weird for me, but I'm learning. 
So for me, it's like, <laughs> okay, it doesn't always have to be about, oh my gosh, I'm not helping millions of people every day. Like it can be about that one thing in right. your life that you're going towards. And then the rest of your life is you're helping your family. You're, do- you know, you're doing the little things, right? Or the, what seem like little things. Yes. But it's okay to have that one moment where it's like, that's my moment. Like that's, that's what I, mm-hmm. that's what I accomplished, you know, and be happy with yourself for it instead of saying like, oh, that's the only thing I accomplished. Like if that's the, that's not the only thing Catherine accomplished, but like, Right. If you're negative about it, you could easily be like, oh, that's the only thing I accomplished. I didn't do anything for the next few years or whatever. Like, that's how my brain works. But I can learn from Catherine, hey, don't do that. Like, you accomplished this and you're still smart and you're still doing good things. It's interesting to me that we can learn different things when we're at different points in our lives. Because right now I'm trying to learn the whole oh, totally. confidence thing and like being okay with myself thing. So like a lot of these things that I'm trying to or I'm just actively learning from these women are about how they handle themselves, how they are in public, how they right. like like I think a lot, especially while we're recording like, what do they think about at night when they're by themselves, you know? And right. what would yeah. I think about at night by myself if I were them? And for me, my brain's, like, mm-hmm. so negative towards myself that it's like, why would you think that about Katherine Johnson? Like, come on, this these are the things you should be right. thinking about. So then it turns into, why would you think those things about yourself, you know? So She's probably mm-hmm. reworking calculations in her head. Probably. You know what yeah. I mean? That's... That's what I would imagine. She's, she's, I feel like she would always be working the problem. So, and that's something you can easily learn. It's like, you know what? Okay. Is there a problem? Definitely. Let me work the problem. If there isn't, let me not worry about it. Exactly. Like she's (laughs) like, okay, if there, if there's a problem, there's an answer. That's why I like math. And it's like, oh, that makes sense. Actually, there's always an answer. Right. Oh, What did you learn about, Leah? I just, I really cemented my appreciation for math because of Catherine. It's one of those things. It's my my father, he was the precursor to this. Um, He spent hours helping me understand algebra, not just how to do it, but understanding the practical application of learning how algebraic equations function, you know what I mean, in problem solving. Um, He helped me with, uh, you know, real life applications of it. So, but again, Mm. geometry, that one I couldn't do. That one I just could not wrap my brain around it. Now, I'm very lucky. My daughters can do geometry and I see them explain it to me and I'm just in awe. I really am. I'm amazed that that they grasp it so well. So, I mean, I, I love math. I love it because it's problem solving and I problem solve every day and I use math every day yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's always around and so and like you were saying Catherine said in an interview it was hard to do but when you got it you got it you had to work for it there was a right and a wrong see in history there's not always a right and a wrong Mm-hmm. I thought that was quite, quite interesting. Um, and I love it because we do this show and we talk about, you know, history. So I fully get yeah, that. Totally. Math has that right and wrong. History is up to interpretation of facts. Absolutely. Interpretation has no distinct right or wrong. It 
it is up to the individual who kind of accepts the history, digests the history, and puts their own uh, their own experiences, you know what totally. I mean, on yeah. the history as well. Like what we do. Um, so, yeah, I totally understand. So I, I learned that my appreciation of, uh, of math actually has life and death consequences because the mm. space shuttle program, they needed to be right. Yeah. <laughs> so there's right and wrong, but there's also life and death. It's, it's important. So I'm immensely thankful to the NACA that understood that because of the high risk of life and death, they needed the best minds that they could find and that those minds had to not be segregated or separated because of color or gender. They just literally, they needed the best minds that they could find in the country. So I I mean, I really learned that we get farther faster when we all work together. Um, That is really, I think what I'm taking from Catherine. (laughs) Absolutely. That's great. So yes, I love it. Uh, We do it once again, just want to quick give a shout out to Margot Lee Shatterly and the book Hidden Figures. Yes. Oh yes. We just, we really appreciate it. If you have enjoyed this episode, there is a treasure trove more of information about not only Catherine and not only about the space program, but more real life gals that are in the book Hidden Figures. And I will say there are two versions available. So there is a young adult version of this book available as well. So I, we both, we both really highly suggest you check them out. Absolutely. (laughs) It's so detailed and it's more like if you look on Wikipedia and try to read about these gals, like you'll get the facts, but you won't get the personality. You won't get the, the story, the connection. Yeah. You know, because even on Wikipedia, they don't include stuff that the book has. It brings you right down to the what they were thinking and feeling, and it's just. But it's still nonfiction, and it's like it's really cool. Yeah, and and NASA does a pretty good job, but there was still there was still holes in it. You know yeah, what I mean? Definitely. So there was still things that uh, that even NASA biographies weren't covering. NASA's concerned about like what she added to the program as opposed to you know, her details about her whole life, where we like to know the details about your whole life. So the book is perfect. Yeah. And we, we like the Margot Lee Shutterly. We like the 360 lot. dimension. Mm-hmm. Well, that wraps it up for us. Next week, we are continuing with the real life gals of Hidden Figures with Mary Jackson. Yay. So, Galaxy Guide is also continuing Black History Month with articles and videos and podcasts dedicated to our fantastic sisters, past and present. So, check all of those out at galsguide.org. We leave you with this quote from Katherine Johnson. Take all the courses in your curriculum, do the research, ask questions, find someone doing what you are interested in, and be curious. For more information about this week's gal, or to check out our previous episodes, visit galsguide.org. To support the show, visit the Gals Guide Patreon page. We love our patrons and offer exclusive perks and behind-the-scenes access for as little as $1 a month. Thank you so much for subscribing to Your Gal Friday.